0: Are you enjoying this free audiobook from Scribble.com? You may not know that Scribble has much more than just free audiobooks. Audiobooks, ebooks, we're adding new titles all the time. You can skip these ads and get higher quality audio files by purchasing audiobooks on Scribble. Even better, every audiobook you buy from Scribble comes with the ebook at no additional charge. Visit us at scribble.com. That's s c r i b l dot com. Now, back to the show.
1: Moonskin, a novel of the Perlu, written by Anthony J Zingales and performed by Sarah K Zingales. Learn more about the author and the novel at spacesthecure dot com.
2: Chapter 11. Ada. In the humid back room of the Rusty Russian, all eyes fell on a GTN special report. Goliath Shaw had been reporting from Beijing since the so-called Precept Purge one day ago. The voice of the GTN Kingpin boomed through the room.
1: Well, folks, it certainly has been a hell of a day for the entire turf, not to mention for the satellites in orbit. We've confirmed that Precept Unit has established sovereignty over all of Earth and her colonies. Every legitimate government branch throughout the global political network is praising UNIT's liberation of political power from the dictatorial grasp of yesterday's despots. The form and coiled demagogues who escape Beijing are cast into the countryside, hiding in spider holes, fleeing from justice. The war criminal, former Edict of Luna II, Franklin Klein, is expected to be among them. Not only have Turfside assets been secured, but Luna II has also been liberated by UNIT. Temporary Minister of Affairs, Shan Shu, has relocated unit leadership and administrative personnel to the Sanctuary Satellite for security purposes. All ongoing governance will be conducted directly from the Luna 2 Citadel. To make room for government personnel on Luna 2, the existing population is being graciously returned turfside at no expense to them whatsoever. The decision to conduct affairs from Luna 2 is a pragmatic one, As we've been reporting, most parliament houses across Earth have been burned to the ground in celebration of global emancipation. Our viewers will be happy to hear that much of the bold plan to wrest power away from our global oppressors has come to light in recent days. One bewildering mystery remains, which relates directly to ex-Senator Ada Porter. Unit leadership has informed GTN that Ada Porter played some role in the implementation of Unit's coup. So the question remains. What role did Ada Porter play, and where is she now? We have received reports that Porter and a two-man security detail removed Franklin Klein from the Parliament House and escaped into the underbelly of Beijing. Nonetheless, media correspondents for the new Astral Order expect Porter and Klein to turn up within a couple of days. We don't expect the detachment to be a threat to the civilian population. If you have information regarding the whereabouts of Franklin Klein or Ada Porter, please contact GTN immediately, and I will personally direct that information to the appropriate authorities. Those are just the facts, folks, but to offer you my thoughts, I can say this. I am confident that once Klein and his detail discover Ada Porter's true nature, they will quickly dispatch her from their company. Given Klein's historical treatment of his political enemies, you can expect him to retaliate against Porter with finality. It's possible she's already dead. While we're on the topic of porters, I'd like to address the questions concerning the Titan Tempest that so many of our viewers have raised. To consolidate the conversation about Tempest, I will say this. The Precept Space Platform has been reorganized into the UNIT Space Platform. USP has cut ties to Tempest. As GTN reported at the time of the Tempest 9 selection, UNIT was not permitted to participate in the Tempest program, so no UNIT party members will come to harm. USP has confirmed that the supplies and fuel aboard Tempest are insufficient to support a return trip from Titan without a resupply from Earth. If, in fact, the crew is so lucky as to reach Titan without the aid of USP, that Forsaken Moon will be the Rebels' final destination. Please remember that USP is armed with full knowledge of the capabilities of Tempest and Hercules Station. We realize that those nine astronauts possess strong political ties here turfside, but Precept Unit would like to personally assure you that Tempest is not a threat to the peace and liberty of this planet. To take it one step further, I would like to personally assure you that there is nothing to fear from Titan Tempest. Many of you at home have borne witness to widespread apprehension of form and coil sympathizers in your particular locales. It is clear that units' emancipation of parliament has created quite a stir amongst those who stand to lose their power. The precept purge may have begun in Beijing, but it isn't over yet. There are many who seek to re-establish the authoritarian regime in a desperate attempt to restore their wicked supremacy. Please expect continued vigilance in the apprehension of these criminals. I want to emphasize that none of you are at risk. There are many more tickets out to come, but only the guilty should fear retribution. Another related question revolves around the lunar settlements, particularly around the Foci. Folks, as you know, I hide nothing from my viewers. It brings me anxiety to inform you that the rumors are true. Foci City has long been an impregnable fortress, a wretched hive for the most atrocious, villainous men and women formerly acting as the puppeteers of the Precept Senators. In the preceding day, many valiant unit actives have fought and died in an effort to eradicate this final stronghold. We regret to inform you that Precept Unit underestimated only one thing in its glorious crusade to eliminate Form and Coil. Unfortunately, what they underestimate is the tremendous military might harnessed by Foci City. The remnants of Precept Form and Precept Coil have banded together within the Foci to completely secure the moon and lunar orbit. In particular, the breadth and scope of the Precept's active programs are just only being realized, especially as it pertains to espionage and surveillance in the purlieu itself. In coming broadcasts, we will provide further information regarding the ongoing efforts to break the walls of the Foci, this last threat to our liberty. Many of you will be given the opportunity to fight in the first legitimate space conflict of our time. In the meantime, be advised that the orbit of the moon is not safe for transit at this time. As a reminder to those of you who are receiving this information for the first time, I am obliged to inform you of the new protocols being employed in order to ensure a smooth transition of the astral government. You have all by now received a neutrino communication from the newly formed Population Accountability Administration. The administration is tackling a ministerial duty that the former government had neglected for nearly a century. A formal census, in order to fully administer relief programs, UNIT has mandated a complete response to the census questionnaire. You will find in your comm hopper. Please be advised that the census is for the good of the entire planet. Therefore, noncompliance will be viewed as seditious behavior. Violators will be aggressively pursued.
2: The coverage from Beijing cut away as Shaw relinquished the program to GTN's global headquarters in Atlanta, where a nameless anchor returned to the screen. She said. As always, thank you, Goliath. Before we let you go, we've heard some astonishing news about your impending career change. What can you tell us about that?
1: Oh, wow. I didn't expect this.
2: Shaw averted his eyes from the camera. A light blush graced his cheeks. Well. He laughed.
1: Am I blushing? Yes. I am very saddened that my career at GTN, which has been my life's work, may soon be coming to an end. Minister Shu has nominated me as Edict of Luna 2 and my nomination is currently unopposed. It appears that by the close of the week, I'll be taking a very important post on the Sanctuary satellite, as I am given the opportunity to aid in Precept Unit's mission.
2: The anchor congratulated Shaw on his accomplishment, and then shifted gears to some fill piece for the 24-hour news cycle. Shaw's segment marked the first comprehensive rundown of the state of astral affairs since the all-out attack in Beijing. Although the telecasts have been brief. Any seasoned GTN viewer should have been able to compartmentalize the reported facts and construct a likely hypothesis of the true facts, irrespective of the propaganda spewed forth by Shaw. My understanding of Maxim Antikov led me to believe that he possessed a political savvy that placed him on equal footing to preeminent politicians such as Franklin and me. Shaw hadn't done me any favors, and I worried how my captors would perceive my involvement in units' attack. As usual, some of Goliath's report was truth, but every assertion was blanketed in falsehood. I found it fitting that Shaw had reported my possible death, given Maxim's recent efforts to make it so. Unfortunately, Maxim wasn't likely to underestimate me again. I was happy to be out of the bedlam of the bar, although this room felt equally tense. As some of the adrenaline from the cage fight had dissipated, I began to feel the aftereffects of the brawl. Contusions flared on my thighs and shins, where I delivered blows to my unfortunate opponents. My knuckles began to swell. Maxim looked at me with a raised, bushy eyebrow, and asked in his heavy, menacing accent, Do I need to kill you now? Believing that my survival depended upon a cold and mysterious persona, I raised the corner of my mouth and rolled my eyes nonchalantly. Surely, Maxim had cast me into that cage, intending a trial by combat, one he figured I'd lose. Maxim chuckled, possibly amused by the unexpected shake-up I had caused. I glanced at Franklin before deciding to engage Maxim with a clear and steady tone. I would have expected a more low-key hideout for a public enemy such as you, Maxim. I would have preferred one, he assured me. I knew very little of Maxim Antikov, but Franklin's demeanor toward the guerrilla Man was calm and unthreatened. I also clung to the knowledge that my brother had trusted
0: this curmudgeon. Maxim went on steadily. So many fled Beijing after the attack that I couldn't keep people out of my bar. But if you can't beat them... Open the doors and charge double for vodka that wouldn't pass for piss in most bars, right? I suppose I have you to thank for all these customers, Senator. He pointed a giant finger across the metal
2: table at me. Franklin dove into the conversation. What is going on with you, Ada? Or should I say, Tomahawk? He laughed. Franklin's light laugh was refreshing, but I worried that his good cop attitude was nothing more than a ruse to interrogate me thoroughly. But then Maxim chuckled as well and the henchmen in the corners of the dusty room joined in, creating a wave of laughter that circled around until I began to snicker as well. Maxim shook with giddiness and wiped tears from his beard before saying, You fight like a wolverine,
0: tomahawk.
2: Maxim sat back in his chair. It creaked beneath his heavy frame. Have you made friends with my enemies, Senator? He gestured toward the news coverage. I leaned over the table and slammed my bloody, bruised fists onto the surface. His henchman didn't budge. I assumed their inaction spoke directly to Maxim's ability to handle himself. I started in. Let me put things into perspective for you, Mr. Antikov. He leaned in and raised a skeptical eyebrow. The metal surface felt cool on my skin, a stark contrast to the palpable fervor in the humid room. Since the astral government, of which I was a senior figurehead, utterly imploded, the one man I vowed to protect narrowly survived assassination, my former allies have put an all-points bulletin on my head, The only family I have is drifting alone through space, and I have lost all political allies save one. I looked toward Franklin and leaned back in my chair. I want you to appreciate the gravity of my circumstances, Maxim. The only friends I have are the ones interrogating me right now, the ones who just tried to kill me in a cage fight. I crossed my arms, finished speaking. Then I uncontrollably blurted, I survived by the way. Keep it coming, Maxim. Nothing you can throw at me will be more dangerous than evading our new police state on a thousand-mile truck from that epicenter of global disaster to this shithole you call home. And on top of that, I brought you this guy. I pointed emphatically at Franklin. So you don't have to trust me, but never forget that I have done what Form couldn't do, what Coyle couldn't do, and what Franklin Klein himself couldn't do. Which would be what? Maxim narrowed his eyes and motioned around the room with both hands. I found you, Maxim Antikov. I talked a big talk, but I knew that Maxim could put a gun to my head at any moment if he wanted me dead. Even though I recognized my dire straits, I believed my own words. Like Maxim, I wasn't intimidated. Sister Porter, Maxim grumbled. He pulled a massive sidearm from his belt and slammed it onto the table with a deafening clang. With one strong push, he flung the gun across the table toward me. I slammed my right hand on top of the gun before it could glide off the table. The muzzle pointed directly at Maxim. He motioned to me, palms toward the ceiling.
0: Sister Porter, Tia Totem saved your life decades ago. You are in no danger here.
2: Tia. I sighed and closed my eyes, nodding slowly as the pieces came together in my head. Where is she? A few months from Saturn, he judged. She's alive?
0: Yes, and Rigel too. We are currently working on breaching security to send a neutrino wave to Tempest. If we can't do that, Rigel will know how to reach us from Hercules.
2: Maxim crossed his arms around his barreled chest.
0: Hercules is more than just a space station to Rigel.
2: A sense of peace washed over me. Maxim had been Tia and Rigel's lifeline during their darkest days decades ago. It appeared that lifeline had never been severed. Of course, I had unanswered questions. If I'm not in danger, why did I just get attacked by a saber cat out there? Maxim chuckled again.
0: I had my suspicions about you, Tomahawk.
2: I rolled my eyes again, fearful that this new nickname would stick. Maxim continued.
0: You are clearly more than met the eye. Not to mention, your notable beauty was amplified by that cage. I may be a friend, but I'm still the Rusty Russian.
2: Klein's face wrinkled from corner to corner. Maxim pulled another large gun from his waistband and slapped it into Franklin's chest,
0: snapping him out of his stupor. Keep this at your fingertips from now on, edict, he ordered. Tomahawk, keep that pistol. I tried to give it to your brother, but he seems to prefer knives. It's yours now. Maxim stood from the table and motioned for us to
2: follow. Welcome to Borgia, he concluded. The room emptied in Maxim's wig except for Nova, who remained behind on the surface to search for Squid. We descended a rickety staircase for many floors. The climb never seemed to end. My legs began to tighten with fatigue when we finally exited the stairs onto a subway platform. Is this train on the grid? Franklin asked.
0: No, it's an independent thorium reactor.
2: Small, said Maxim. We climbed aboard and the train shot off through a pitch black tunnel. After 20 minutes, yellow light illuminated an explosion-proof doorway blocking access to the tunnel. The train slowed, the thick door slid open, and we resumed our path, the heavy door sealing us inside. Soon, we stopped and exited the train. I guessed that we had put roughly 10 kilometers between us and the rusty Russian back in town. Maxim led Franklin and me to an archaic elevator and pushed a button next to a large set of copper doors. A loud creaking sound emanated from the elevator shaft and the floor rumbled slightly underfoot. The elevator clanged loudly and the copper doors slid open. We followed Maxim onto the lift and the doors closed behind us. A few rocky minutes later, the doors opened to reveal a long hallway lit by warm yellow light. A number of doors lined the hall. Maxim led us down the hallway. When we stopped, Maxim took a key from his pocket and unlocked several deadbolts on the door. He pushed the heavy door open and motioned for us to enter. The small interior of the room was furnished with a single bed and an outdated kitchenette. Gray concrete made up the walls, floor, ceiling, and countertops. The room was anything but
0: inviting. "'You'll find food, water, and a change of clothes here. I need to make some preparations.' You two need to get some rest before we regroup.
2: He reached into his pocket and pulled out a neutrino communicator. He handed it to Franklin and revealed that it was linked to a secure line in Maxim's possession. Maxim nodded casually as he left the room, closed the heavy door, and locked each and every deadbolt behind him. We wouldn't be leaving this room without that key. Franklin slumped to the concrete floor in front of a small stove and pulled his knees to his chest. He brought his hands to his eyes and rubbed vigorously. I leaned against the countertop across from him, with my arms at my side, not sure how to approach him. Franklin drew in a deep breath and blew it out slowly. He looked tired. Well, Franklin vented, a few days ago, I was one of the top-ranking officials in all of astral politics. Do you realize that? His mouth straightened. How is it that I'm the only one around here that has no idea what the flack is going on? His ego was obviously tortured by the events of the last 24 hours. I felt at least partially guilty for ripping apart the world as he knew it. I racked my brain for a way to reconstruct his reality. I wasn't sure what information I could safely divulge. After all, I had deceived him, and he surely felt betrayed. I had obviously given him reason enough to distrust me, and that made me nervous about trusting him now. Maybe I was projecting. I deflected. Are you as tired as I am, Franklin? He ignored my question. How the flack do you know Maxim Antikoff? And how the flack does he know you better than I do? Franklin's pity party accelerated. I haven't seen or spoken to Maxim in 60 years, and then suddenly you lead me straight back to him through the greatest carnage of my life? Franklin, I'm sorry. I tried, but he still didn't hear me. I devoted my entire life to reshaping our astral politics, and I was making a difference. Now, if Shaw's right... All my people on Luna 2 are being displaced around the turf. Nothing I ever did even mattered. What a waste of a life. I tried again. I know that I haven't given you a reason to believe me. I don't know what to believe. I don't even know what's going on. I was quickly growing tired of the man's belly aching. I still needed Franklin more than anything, but not this Franklin. I tried to get us back on track. Cut the crap, Edict. You know exactly what's going on. We have lost control. Unit is calling the shots now, and unless you snap out of it, we may have no hope of stopping them. My chastising words had a clear impact. He made eye contact with me and nodded. All right, then. Who are you? I sighed. Franklin, you know who I am. It's Ada. There are things about me you don't know and don't need to know. All I can tell you is that Senator Hsu confided a lot in me, but I'm not on her side. I completely opposed astral authoritarianism in every form. You and I are on the same side. You heard Shaw. Unit has Luna too, and there's no way I can get it back without you. He didn't look entirely satisfied, but he shifted topics anyway. Any idea what Maxim's up to? This is the first time we've met, I revealed. I know you feel out of the loop, but I'm right there with you when it comes to this place. I knew Maxim was an old friend of my brother's, but coming up here was an honest gamble. I think there's more than meets the eye to Maxim and Borgia. Apparently he favors Tia Totem as well. Although I can't say I'm surprised. I've never met anyone that doesn't adore that woman. Franklin added, Maxim was my greatest mentor as a politics student back in Huntsville. The precepts ostracized him 40 or 50 years ago, and he completely vanished. I thought he was dead. He talks like he knows more than both of us about Tempest and Hercules. Any idea what that's all about? No more than you, I assume. You were the one who got the missions launched in the first place. PSP maintained that the two missions were meant to combine as a forward command station in the outer solar system. They chose Titan as the site because it's a young Earth, a sister Earth. I was under the impression that Hercules was the reconnaissance mission for Tempest, but Maxim clearly knows something we don't. I looked back at Franklin. He shrugged and nodded, confusion again contorting his face. Franklin continued with the next logical question. So, how does Maxim know your brother is alive? This time I shrugged. Neither of us spoke for several minutes. The hum of the generator and air conditioner combined into a little melody. After a while, Franklin pointed his ocean eyes at me and reached out his hand. I took it, and instead of pulling him up, slid in beside him in front of the oven. He glued his eyes to mine and begged, Ada, those things you say I don't need to know about you, I have to know them. I want Luna 2 back, so I have to know that I can still count on you. He kissed me on the swollen knuckles of my hand. Anxiety welled up inside me. I was terrified to tell Franklin the truth, but I didn't know how else to lift this shroud of uncertainty and repair our relationship. We needed to band together if we had any hope of surviving, let alone of retaking one of the most well-protected outposts in the solar system, second only to the foci. I wanted to let Franklin in, but my secrets had come to define me. I wasn't ready to reveal my questionable past. But most of my history was benign, wasn't it? Franklin already knew that I had worked medical triage during the Lunatu construction and had gotten my political start by clerking for an aloof, aging form senator. I would have never left medicine at all if not for an irresistible urge to overcome the tyranny of our two-party system. I had never revealed to Franklin that an utter hatred for Earth's political system had piqued my interest in politics in the first place the purlieu had infused me with disgust for corruption and stagnation of really our entire civilization. At first, I had set out to make a difference in earth politics. I climbed the political ladder and managed to gain a foothold in some powerful circles of parliament. Prominent senators began entrusting me with secrets, and I picked up even more intelligence when some had simply been negligent with valuable information. Over the years, I enjoyed enormous success backing critical initiatives, some entirely by luck. When Precept Unit had begun to break through the two-party system, I joined the three-party vanguard, right alongside Franklin Klein. Then, Senator Shan Xu entered the equation. Xu had been extreme from the start. She wielded a silk tongue and drew hundreds of senators to her ideological perspective of Unit's rightful place in astral politics. Xu seemed to espouse the erection of a singular political sovereign. In the purest sense, she sought to replace the two-party system with a one-party system instead of three. I didn't think I could ever match her hatred for the precepts, and that was saying something. Her extreme viewpoint had me worried, but I never could have anticipated just how far she had been willing to go to destroy Form and Coil. After Shu's rise to prominence, Unit successfully wedged itself between Form and Coil. The three-party system flourished for the first time in centuries. Eventually, Shu offered me the opportunity to join precept Unit, and I took it, naively believing that she had ushered in an era of political progress. I had been so happy with UNIT's success that I had grown blind to the scope of SHU's conspiracy. I had almost infinite faith in SHU's leadership when I had set off for UNIT active training. At the beginning of my training, I had focused on research, specifically on the development of Noxious Trend gunpowder. Nox Trend had been developed by UNIT to pack an enormous punch in a small firearm. The telltale sign of Nox Trend weaponry was the accompanying odor of sulfur and asphalt. As a doctor, I had been tasked with developing a variant of the technology that would be less poisonous to the shooter's skin. However, no one, including myself, had ever succeeded. Noxious Trend gunpowder remained as toxic when I left my training as it had been when I had begun. After my stint with R&D, UNIT transitioned me into full-time combat training. In the final nine months of training, I had absorbed myself entirely in hand-to-hand combat, 12 hours a day, 7 days a week. By the time I had graduated from active training, Senator Shue had asserted full control over Parliament. My romantic relationship with Franklin had begun around that time, though we had met as political adversaries years earlier. By the time Titan Tempest had launched, the covert unit propaganda machine had systematically persuaded a sufficient delegation of senators that a forcible coup d'etat was necessary. The most painful part of my story was that I had bought right into the propaganda I had wholly believed in the coup right up to the moment I woke beside Franklin that very morning. By then, it had been too late. As much as I regretted my complicity in the attack, I harbored no disillusions about my motives. My desire to dismantle the two-party system had never wavered, and still didn't waver now in the underground of Maxim Antikov's stronghold. If I were given the opportunity to destroy Unit, I would take it. If I were given the opportunity to destroy Foreman Coil, I'd take that, too there was nothing I wouldn't do to watch the foci burn. Beside me, Franklin was still squeezing my hand, waiting for me to speak. We locked eyes in the dim yellow light, and then I told him everything. The next few hours passed slowly. Franklin and I had been on the move, fighting for our lives for more than a day, so even this small amount of downtime felt like an eternity. I took the first shower. I considered sharing the water with Franklin, but thought twice, wanting to avoid the emotional upsurge that would cause for him. Really, my alone time in the steamy water was much needed. The water soaked my hair and streamed down my skin. Blood, dirt, and grime colored the water. I stared at the shower floor, mesmerized by the beads of black-red water rolling off my bruised and battered body. Once I broke free from my trance, I took several minutes to scrub my body clean of the filth. I took the opportunity to perform a damage report as well. My sore muscles and swollen fist comprised the bulk of my injuries. It seemed I had unit to thank for the training that had saved me from harsher injuries. I cut off the water and stepped into the chilly bathroom, letting water drip onto the floor. My grimy clothes were balled up in the corner of the small bathroom. Predicting that Maxim's clothing options wouldn't suffice, I filled the sink with hot water and dripped in a bit of soap. A split second before dunking my pants into the soapy water, I remembered Nova's lighter in the pocket. I pulled the lighter from the pocket and away from the sink. I smiled at the sight of it. Nova had been quiet since I had met him, but I felt that this trinket told his story for him. "'Earth,' I whispered, rubbing my thumb over the carving on the surface. I laughed lightly at the irony of the engraving, so small I could cover it with my thumb. The feel of the raised metal on my skin was hypnotic. What was it about Earth that compelled humanity to tuck her under our thumb?' Nova surely missed his charm. I made a mental note to return it when I saw him next. His coat, too. I worked my clothing in the soapy water. Although I had only recently appropriated this black tank and shorts, the clothes felt like mine. When I finished scrubbing, I hung the clothes on the side of the sink, grabbed an inadequately small towel, and wrapped it as best I could around my torso, barely covering myself up. The white of the towel starkly contrasted with my dark skin. Muscle fatigue finally set in. Remembering that Franklin had been waiting for his turn in the bathroom, I sidled out into the kitchenette. Until Franklin reminded me, I had completely forgotten about his wounds. We spent a few minutes redressing the crowbar wounds of his abdomen and the bullet wound of his shoulder. Franklin's wounds were healing surprisingly well considering their field dressing without medical-grade materials. Franklin would have been entirely healed by now if I had been carrying legitimate supplies at the time. When we finished with his wounds, I helped Franklin undress, taking care to avoid aggravating the lesions on his body. My hair dripped impartially onto his skin as I removed his tattered clothes. I helped him into the shower, warning him to avoid his wounds as much as possible, and then retreated to a wool blanket atop the hard mattress in the corner of the dorm. Franklin showered quickly and emerged naked from the bathroom. The dressing on his injuries had held up well through his shower. Franklin wobbled near the bed. He could barely hold himself up. I motioned for him to join me on the bed and lifted my knees up to pull back the gray blanket beneath me. I reached over and grabbed his wrist, pulling him onto the bed. He collapsed onto his back, eyes closed and breathed deeply. The last 24 hours had felt like weeks. It seemed we must have traveled through time to lay down at each other's side twice in as many nights, our dreams, the bookends to catastrophe. I stripped my towel and tossed it toward the bathroom door, savoring the cool air temporarily on my skin before sliding under the blanket. Under the sheets, I pulled my head up to Franklin's chin, pushed up against his ribs, and tangled my legs tiredly into his. My breathing quickly copied Franklin's, and we promptly fell asleep. I awoke hours later to a buzzing newcom. Franklin, too, stirred beside me. I peeled myself away from him and shuffled over to the phone. "'Privet?' I murmured. "'Okay,' I replied after Maxim's momentary barking. I tossed the phone aside and shuffled back over to the bed beside the waking edict. Franklin reached out to stroke the back of my leg. He looked at me and pulled himself to the edge of the mattress. Franklin gently put his lips to my belly button. His gray stubble tickled my skin. Franklin peered up at me. He chuckled. I can see your freckles again, Tomahawk. Noticing for the first time that the blood and dirt had given way to my face. Ugh, I blurted, exasperated by the nickname. I playfully pinned his arms to the mattress in revenge. Let's find you some clothes. I kissed him softly on the forehead and pulled him to his feet. In a nearby chest, I pulled out a pair of black leather boots, a black tank top, gray-blue slacks, and matching jacket of militaresque design. Franklin pulled on his clothing mostly without my help and zipped the jacket up to his collarbone. I went to the bathroom to find that my clean clothes had completely dried. I pulled the tank top over my head. We found some boy-sized pants and a jacket to match Franklin's garb. We cut the pants off at the knee, and I pulled them over my sore thighs and pulled on Nova's jacket. We tucked our guns into our waistbands as Maxim clanged his heavy keys against our door. He released us from the room, and we departed for the elevator. The elevator creaked and groaned underfoot. We descended several floors before the doors opened up to an industrial room. Titanium beams framed the entire area. The room was fit comfortably with wood-paneled desks, gray server walls, and thick glass control screens that dated the room to the last century. Although Maxim's gear was clearly out of date, the dozen or more operators tapped through their prompts with respectable speed and grace. A giant prototype neutrino emitter rested inconspicuously near the corner of the command center. I'd seen one like it during my extensive time in unit-active R&D. This device would probably be capable of super-efficient neutrino feeds and must have been a required component for Maxim's
0: operation. Welcome to true Borgia, Max divulged. We've outfitted this bunker in preparation for this precise astral crisis. Follow me,
2: he ordered with a wave of both thick gorilla arms. We traversed the center of the room toward a giant blast door at the other end. Two of Maxim's people met us at the door and turned a pair of massive cranks, slowly splitting the doors apart. Franklin and I lifted our chins and dropped our jaws. As far as the eye could see, The cavern stretched upward until the darkness of the chasm blanketed out the light. The room appeared to reach all the way to the surface of Borgia, an expanse that had taken several minutes to descend by elevator. Maxim pulled a large metal lever, illuminating the room. As the lights flickered on, twenty characteristic rocket engines arranged in an X at the base of an archaic Soyuz rocket came into focus. I could only imagine what the cunning Maxim Antikov had in mind for this centuries-old relic.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moonskin, a novel of the Perloo. This is the author, Anthony J. Zingalis. The musical score and artwork for Moonskin were also written and created by the author. For more information about the Purlue, please visit spaceisthecure.com. Thanks for listening.